The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spinoff with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Pound. This podcast has talked a lot to leaders about their success. But as any of these leaders would tell you, success is not just a leader thing. It's created by the team you have around you. And attracting great talent has perhaps never been so hard. With remote work, now you aren't just competing against your local market, but the whole world. How do companies attract this talent and create the conditions for them to excel and also stay with the company? A lot of this comes down to the employee experience. But what exactly is it? And how do you get a good one? Today's guest believes it isn't even something leaders alone should be deciding. It's the people in the company that can best understand and design the ideal setup. Samantha Gadd founded Humankind about 10 years ago to be a new kind of HR and people and culture company. They've specialised over time in this employee experience area, helping some of our biggest, best and most successful organisations, from growth companies like Sharesies or Supreme Coffee, through to government departments, design better culture to get better results. Samantha has recently stepped out of the CEO role to start a specialist employee experience design school. And to talk the journey, design thinking, and what's next, Humankind founder Samantha Gadd joins us now by Zoom from Wellington. Tenakwe, thank you for being with us. Good morning, Simon. How are you? Uh, great. Thank, thank you for being along. And, you know, let, let's start at the beginning. You started as HR shop. What, what got you into the space and what led you to begin? Yeah, so I had been working in HR for some time and actually I'd got a little bit disillusioned with HR um, about 14-ish years ago and had trained to become a life coach. And while I was working at one of the large uh, law firms and their HR team, um, I decided to go out on my own and create a life coaching business. And the first week I was out on my own, someone from my network actually reached out to me saying, I'm in a small business, we just really need some HR help. You know, are you doing any contracting on the side? I've seen you've left your HR role. And um, at that point, I was like, sure, I can come and help. And what I realised is that the small business not only needed help with this little problem, but you know, there was a whole bunch of other things that they needed support with, but they didn't have a full-time HR manager or they didn't have a need to hire someone on their team. So um, one thing led to another and I ended up having kind of a portfolio of small organisations I was supporting with um, HR projects as they were growing. And and yeah, it was probably about 11 years ago that I realised that there was quite a need for small and medium organisations that couldn't justify hiring an HR 
person in-house but needed that on a consulting basis. And I also recognised there was a group of um, amazing women who were in my network who were mums returning to the workforce who had had really big HR roles but didn't want to go back into full-time work, so wanted flexible work that was really interesting, uh, well-paid. And so I, I put those together and created HR Shop. And it really did start as a group of mums meeting in the Wellington Library over a hot chocolate with buggies, <laughs> talking about the small businesses we're helping. <laughs> yeah, that's all. And, and HR itself has gone through quite a big uh, image and self, uh, self, self kind of um, actualization change over the last 10 years. Um, tell me about this move from HR going from kind of, I guess, rules and regulations into being the home of kind of culture and people uh, growth. Yeah, I mean, HR is evolving so much. I think, you know, it started out as personnel and records keeping. Um, and now really, we're into people and culture employee experience. And I think, um, you know, part of that, or at least recently, is about that shift of power from, you know, people being lucky to have a job to organisations being lucky to attract the right people and, and needing to do more for their people. So um, it's evolving a lot and it's, it should be. And you had your own evolution uh, about halfway through changing from HR shop to humankind. Tell me about that decision as it can't be an easy decision to uh, change both the name, but also a bit of the focus of the business, eh? Yeah, it was it was a really interesting decision and one that I completely underestimated, frankly. So we had been operating for about three years um, very successfully. So we were, you know, do it fast 50 growth and, and going really well. And um, and I have a vivid memory of a client of, of mine saying, you know, so Sam, do you do sort of inspiring leadership workshops or do you just do HR? And I was like, right, that was the nail in the coffin of the name HR. And I was, it was at the sort of same time that I was discovering this concept of employee experience. So knew I needed to get the word HR or those letters out of the business name. So I decided to change the name to Humankind, but I did completely underestimate what that would mean. What, what did it mean? It really meant changing the name changed everything. So, um, you know, a brand is not just a name, as we all know. And actually what it meant is we went from, you know, a bunch of sort of part-time mostly contractors, um, quite flexible, mostly small businesses, to being a fully-fledged professional services business. And, you know, the, the biggest challenge for me, honestly, in that situation was that actually, a, you know, a large number of the team eventually decided that they didn't want to be a humankind. They joined HR Shop and we really needed to transition into that that professional services model, which yeah, at the time was really challenging, but um, certainly haven't looked back now. So it's um, it's been, you know, quite the making of us. And a big part of that as well was bringing purpose to the front of the organisation. And I think people are really familiar with purpose-led organisations when, um, you know, it's a more sustainable cleaner or, you, you know, it's an outerwear brand that's all about saving the world. But how does purpose play a role in a professional services business? Yeah, it's a really great question. Um, HR Shop was always sort of had my personal purpose, which has always been to help people to love what they do. It's been something that's driven me from very early in my career. Um, but it was really only probably three or so years ago that I recognised that, that that purpose, and what I mean by that, those words weren't really being used and it wasn't really resonating as much in humankind as what I had hoped. So we actually did a big exercise and a lot of um, time later landed on our, our purpose today, which is humanity at work or to lead humanity at work. And it's really interesting because actually, you know, to me, it sort of 
a lot of it means the same thing as to, um, helping people love to, to love what they do. But um, it's been unbelievably transformational to have a purpose that everyone in our organisation really resonates with. And there probably wouldn't be a day in humankind where I don't hear those words being used. So it is definitely what drives us um, on a daily basis. And what does that kind of mean? Is that because the HR function um, maybe are seen as the people who, um, you know, issue the warnings or fire people and maybe there's not a lot of a feeling of humanity with that function? Or, well, yeah, is, is that an um, explicit push against <laughs> that kind of bad um, image, perhaps? Oh, for sure. And, um, you know, it's really interesting. To lead humanity at work for us means taking a really employee-centric or human-centred approach to to our organisations that we're supporting. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing because you'd think HR or human resources would be really human-centred, but, um, you know, it does take some, um, yeah, sometimes a bit of a mindset change for organisations to take that really human-centred approach. Yeah, kind of employee first, not rule first. Exactly. And tell me, you've mentioned that employee experience idea there. It's been an emerging uh, concept. How do you describe it? And, you know, how does uh, an organisation actually meaningfully embrace it and not just use it as a, um, you know, a buzzword? Yeah, so um, employee experience to us is, um, essentially what goes on in employees' minds and in employees' hearts and also in the interactions um, that employees have at work. And it's really quite all-encompassing, kind of a little bit like culture. You know, culture is described as the way we do things around here. So it's it's quite a broad concept. And what I absolutely love about employee experience, and I still vividly remember learning about this about six years ago, is that it's just a much broader way of looking at an organisation. And so... Um, you know, we look at the four types of employee experiences that people are having in, in their workplace, which are related to purpose, relationships, enablers and um, performance. And um, yeah, it really supports us to, to, you know, to see what's happening in an organisation. Talk me through those four enablers. Uh, and what, what does that mean? Yeah, so um, for organisations to really figure out how to go about improving their employee experience, we generally look at these four types of experiences. So purpose experiences, which relate to um, individuals having a real sense of connection to the purpose of an organisation or and or a sense of connection to um, what impact their role can have on the broader strategic objectives of the organisation and how they're making a difference. Um, relationship experiences, of course, are around the connections that we have at work. So the connection we have with our immediate leader, the connections we have within our team, and also my team's connections with other teams. So those relationships are critical for having a great EX at work. Um, enabling experiences, of course, related to the tools and technology and a physical environment, the processes and systems, everything enables us to get our job done. If those things are clunky or frustrating, then of course that impacts our employee experience, so making that really smooth and enabling. And then lastly, performance experience related to, of course, individuals having great role clarity, but also having that sense of satisfaction or success that they know what a good day, week, month at work looks like, and they get that sense of um, that sense of satisfaction themselves. Yeah, and that's quite a lot broader than maybe a really traditional view of a corporate HR facility, hey, where mm. it's like, these are the rules that you follow, 
Um, maybe if you're lucky, there's some forward progression in your career that's um, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's that's been been signalled. But only if you follow all of the steps, and yeah. you know you, you have to use these these software tools that are a bit boring. I, and, and by having these four kind of areas where it's uh, a push to make it employee centred, how do you do that? So I mean. You, you know, I guess it is the kind of thing that can be a really dangerous buzzword. Um, if it's not true, it can create even more cynicism if people go, we're doing an employee-centred thing, and if the employees don't really feel that. Yeah, well, I think it just starts with talking to your employees. You know, I think a lot of organisations do exit interviews when people leave, but, you know, I'd really encourage organisations to do stay interviews. Interview your people while they're still there and find out, you know, what's working really well for them, what's getting in their way, um, what they love, what's, you know, what's frustrating, and really hear from your people um, what their experience is like. And if you have those conversations, it's just bound to be kind of gold nuggets of where um, the employee experience can be improved. And, you know, I know traditionally sort of a lot of HR teams and I know myself and I was trained and when I was working in HR, we spend a lot of time working on those key life cycle moments. You know, how do you attract? How do you recruit? How do you onboard, you know, performance and then exits? And, you know, from my very rough back of the envelope calculations, I think um, employees probably spend only about 5% of their time at work in one of those stages, which means that about 95% of their time at work is just doing their job. So um, generally when we're talking about employee experience, we're talking about like how to make the everyday better, not just those key moments that matter. And how do you get employees to kind of co-create or co-design those as a best practice idea? Yeah, so I think um, there's... You know, I think a lot of people do quite well of getting the initial feedback from employees, you know, whether it's that initial brainstorm or the survey that tells you that something's not quite right. Um, and what we would say is, like, don't stop the collaboration or co-design with employees at that point. Continue through to, you know, first of all, it's about getting really clear on what problem you're trying to solve. So that discovery and listening and having those conversations is really critical and then making sure that you've really defined what that problem is. And then when it goes into designing the solutions, I think often business leaders or people in the HR team or, um, you know, people that are in people leadership positions, they feel this real weight of responsibility of coming up with the solutions and having to solve the problem. And the reality is the best way to solve the problem is to have the people that it's for designing that solution. So doing the brainstorming or um, designing those solutions with those people, prototyping, testing ideas with the employees that it's for right through to sort of execution. So um, that's generally how we would recommend kind of taking an employee-centered approach is involving people the whole way along, not just at the beginning. And is that a brave thing for leaders to do in an organisation? Is it an easy thing? How do you how do you make it something that um, goes the right way for everyone? It's so interesting, eh? So I I, I think it's a bit brave, but probably not in the way you'd expect. So I think the bravery comes at um, essentially like walking into a room being brave enough to not have the answer because, you know, as leaders, we really feel like we have to have the answer. And personally, I love not not, not having to have the answer. I think, you know, the, the funny thing is, you know, we've done so many so much work with different organisations. And one thing that is at top of mind for me now is, you know, flexible working policies. And we think, oh my gosh, if we co-design this with our employees, we're going to have all sorts of wild and wonderful ideas about what flexible working looks like. But, you know, it's not what happens. You know, employees are really reasonable. They've also got the best interests of the business at mind. And it's, it's it, you know, it's it's really interesting when you have a group of leaders and a group of employees and you talk about where flexibility starts and stops and what it means to them, you know, you'll find that there's huge crossover and, and really they're mostly on the same page. So, um, 
yeah, it's, it, it, sh- it shouldn't be too scary. <laughs> <laughs> and what are the benefits of getting the employees to be the people who um, set, set uh, some of these ideas? The huge benefit is um, not having to focus so much on buy-in. So, you know, if you're ever sitting around an executive table kind of talking about how to get buy-in and how to get people on board with a certain idea or something, an initiative that you're wanting to launch, I would almost go back to the fact that possibly it hasn't been designed in a co-design sort of manner because that buy-in is generated through the process. So it's, it, it is a little bit of a go slow to go fast. It really helps you at the end to kind of have a much faster implementation or uptake. Um, but, you know, for sure, it is a bit of a slower process when you're involving more people and doing more sort of testing and idea generation. So, um, but, but yeah, if you're ever sitting around wondering how to get buy-in, thinking about the process is a good place to start. And we'll be back in a minute to hear more from Samantha Gadd about recruitment and the Employee Experience Design School. Kia ora, I'm Jane, podcast manager here at The Spinoff. I'm just dropping in to recommend subscribing to The Spinoff Rec Room. It's our weekly newsletter delivered to inboxes every Wednesday and it's packed full of all our best recommendations. There's new things to watch, listen to, read, play, eat, drink or make your life that little bit better in some other way. Subscribe now at the newsletter section of thespinoff.co.nz or head over to thespinoffrecroom.substack.com to have a sneak peek first. Tell me about recruitment. So halfway through or thereabouts in your journey, you um, started another uh, startup around recruitment. What problem did you see there? A couple. So um, I really saw a need for better candidate experience. So I think most people have had a shocking candidate experience at some point during their career. Um, And we believe that the employee experience begins when you're a candidate. So we wanted to help organisations to deliver a better candidate experience for their for their people coming into their organisation. And the other thing is, I really feel like the the model of charging a large percentage of um, a person's salary to to hire someone, you know, I think that is um, there's a there's potentially a better way of doing things. So um, I, we launched Kin uh, myself and my business partner at the time um, to you know to meet those needs. Yeah, tell me about how it normally operates. So. Um, from from my time working in tech companies, it was kind of wild finding out how recruitment worked. It'd be like, oh, well, we don't really want to recruit this person because we'll have to pay three months of their salary as a win fee. And you're like, the, the what? It seems yeah. like an enormous amount of money. And then you've got these incentives for recruiters to be, uh, you know, they'll have a 30, 40K kind of payday up ahead. Um, so they've got these wild incentives just to hound everyone. Yeah, and to put a bum on a seat, right? It's um, it's it's broken on so many levels, and I think that, you know, for every, every time you think about some of the negative behaviours um, that are linked to the recruitment industry, it does go back to the way that um, they're incentivised. I think, and so um, we created a model which was hourly rate recruitment. So pay as you go, um, fixed fixed hourly rate, which is, you know, on the KIN website so everyone can see. It's very transparent and, um, you know, it creates a whole lot of trust with organisations and also we're generally saving people often up to half of a recruitment, you know, a normal recruitment fee. So it's hugely cost effective plus really focusing on that really um, deliberate um, candidate journey. Yeah, and you'd think that the kind of things that would have a person, especially a person with high demand skills uh, in the workforce, 
the, the things that would drive them to come and work at your company would be things like the culture there and the kind of the place it would be to work, um, not how persistent a recruiter had been in getting in front of them. Or yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. like like that idea of actually like paying to just get in contact with people rather than as if they are the secret source seems to make quite a bit of sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah, how, and how and how's that gone? Um, so Kin's going extremely well. So um, I actually exited that business in January of last year. Um, but that team is just growing and doing very well. We use, Humankind uses Kin for all of our recruitment. A lot of our clients use Kin um, and you know, the service is excellent. The candidate experience, we get so much feedback, even from candidates that haven't been successful about how good it feels to go through a process with Kin. Um, it's just, yeah, it is really a phenomenal business. Yeah. And in terms of other changes, after kind of 10 years in the CEO role at Humankind, you recently decided this year to step out of that role. Mm. Tell me about that process. And, you know, it's always interesting when a founder who's been the CEO decides to make that change, as um, so often you become quite intertwined with that person, you know, that kind of part of your personality and that being part of your identity. How did you face that challenge? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. I think um, for you know for quite some time at Humankind, we've really focused on playing to our strengths, um, and it's fair to say that you know operationally running an organisation is, is actually not a strength of mine. Um, and so I've always really hired people that are much better than myself um, at you know at doing some of those things. And I have a phenomenal um, COO in our team who's stepping into that CEO role. And and to be honest, she's been running the company for about a year now anyway. So um, I think it's important for founders to recognise what you're good at. I'm really good at getting things off the ground and, um, you know, galvanising people around an idea. Um, but when it comes to sort of keeping that thing going and, and um, you know, the stay up or growth stage, it's probably not where I, where I play best. And it's not where I have the most fun. So when I was recognising that I was starting to, you know, not enjoy myself um, as much at work, it was that time where we sort of had a really good, robust conversation at the leadership team about where we each need to play for our strengths. And, and it's been really transformational at Humankind, each of us kind of going into the right role. It can be hard, can't it, as a leader to, when something's not necessarily something you enjoy, <laughs> to remember <laughs> that there are other people out there who are likely to love it. <laughs> I know. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? So true. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, what was it, what's it been like for you? So, so you've moved out of the role a, in order to then double down your focus on employee experience with this new venture, the Employee Experience Design School. But so, so there's that. But also, how has it been to actually kind of step out of the CEO role? Was it a, was it a kind of difficult thing with so much of what, you know, becomes your identity kind of ro rolled up in that? Yeah, it's a funny question. So um, I'm only just in the process of stepping out now. So it all officially happens next week. Um, and it, it's, it's a funny thing that, you know, my head is in a bit of a funny space, actually, because it is a big part of my identity. Um, I do have a really exciting new focus, though, which is, um, you know, which is keeping me really occupied. I don't think I could step out if I didn't have something else to go into. Um, but no, I'm, I'm so excited about EX Design School that uh, I think it's distracting me from yeah. from the pain of letting go. <laughs> <laughs> and then tell, tell, tell me about um, the, the EX Design School. What was the insight there and what are you setting up? 
Yeah, so it was last year. Um, we were we were sitting around our leadership t- table talking about how we have more impact. You know, we are really purpose driven. We do want to lead humanity at work. So how do we do that in a bigger way with more scale? And um, a really sort of natural progression was for us to actually start teaching other people the approach that we take, teaching people about employee experience and how to become employee experience designers um, by integrating design thinking with HR and taking that approach has been so transformational in our own business. We're really confident that if others took this approach, they would also experience um, awesome results in their organisations and a real confidence boost themselves in their careers. So um, yeah, enter EX Design School. It's it's an online programme that is t- essentially teaching people to do what we do. Who's involved with it? And, and what kind of, um, what kind of a school is it? Is it a kind of turn up with your clipboard or is it online or do you go in and consult or how does it, how does it operate? Yeah, so it is completely online. So um, there's 15 online lessons with a whole bunch of downloadable resources. So you'll work your way through kind of learning the foundations and the methodology and then how to apply that to all the different aspects of a traditional sort of people and culture um, um um, you know, team. And um, in terms of who's involved, we've got um, just over 40 people, about 43 um, participants in the program so far, which I'm really proud of every single one of them because, you know, when you get something new off the ground, it's, um, you know, you celebrate every single one. And we've got um, sole HR practitioners from awesome startups and growth companies right through to, um, you know, sort of handfuls of people across some of our bigger organisations in New Zealand. So we've got some incredible brands on board, some really forward-thinking people and culture practitioners. And, yeah, the feedback has just been very humbling um, around people being super excited about this content. So the next step is to get some scale, and that's what um, my focus will be over the next year or so. Where do you want to see it go? I would love to have a huge impact globally on how people and culture and HR is um, delivered in organisations. Um, you know, if I go back to my original purpose that's driven me throughout my whole career, which is to help people to love what they do, I just fundamentally believe that individuals should be inv- involved in the design of their own employee experience. So the more organisations that have employee experience designers in them, um, you know, the more that will come to life. And I feel very excited about the potential for global impact in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a huge unlock for, yeah, the 95% of time that people are at work, that people aren't thinking about how do we make it better in a very active way. Uh, and, and for in, if in, you engage people in their own decision making, they're much more likely to stick to whether it's values in a company uh, or, or, or any of these things, people are much more likely to then live by them and use them. Uh, so, 100%. yeah, that, that's fascinating. And, and it's really interesting talking to you and hearing about kind of both of these um, big big kind of changes through the course of the business, the rebrand to humankind and now the kind of stepping sideways from the CEO role to then start this linked um, company using your experience. What advice would you have for people who – those must be hard decisions, right? Like you've built a successful business, you've got you've got a team of something like thirty, don't you, at Humankind? You're like um, and like you know, yes, really great yeah. big clients. And with the HR shop before that, you'd built it to be a fast fifty, uh, you, you know, successful business. But then you made the choices to make some quite big changes to set the stage for another stage of growth. How do you go about kind mm-hmm. of making that call, and you know, knowing it's the right call and backing yourself? 
Yeah, I think um, it's kind of never resting on your laurels. You know, I think every organisation, every industry is changing so much and we always want to be at the cutting edge. So constantly challenging ourselves to what that will be. Um, and then in terms of just doing it, I don't know, I'm, I'm, you know, a classic founder, just kind of attracted to the new and shiny. So it doesn't take much to, you know, to entice me into trying to, trying something new, um, hence kind of, you know, launching Kin and now EX um, Design School. So I, you know, I love the challenge of that creation of creating something from nothing. And, um, you know, if you love that naturally, then I suppose you can't uh-huh. help yourself. And just as a final thought, <laughs> um, what will success be for you personally and for EX Design School. Yeah, so um, I've talked a little bit about where I want EX Design School to be, which is to have that global impact. And I think with CEOs, business leaders everywhere, you know, employee experience has to be one of the number one business priorities. So I'm hoping that, you know, getting that scale should be um, something that, you know, that's quite achievable. I think on a personal front, um, I'm a very proud mum of three beautiful boys who are 12, 11 and 8. And so really critical ages, you know, the next five years in our household are going to be very, very important in terms of, uh, you know, nurturing them into the young men that they hopefully will be able to become. So spending a bit more time with them, hopefully, um, or I will be, and getting a bit more balance will be really nice. So, I'm, you know, I'm excited about growing what looks like to be, you know, a product business versus a services business is where I've always been. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling very energised. Yeah, magic. Well, thank you so much for sharing the story today. That's Samantha Gadd, uh, founder at Humankind and founder at EX Design School. Kelda. Thank you so much, Simon. It's been a real um, treat to be on this podcast after listening to many, many of them over the years. So thank ah, you that's for so cool. Me. Thank you so much uh, to Te Aheva for producing. And thank you very much for having us along and listening. Cheers. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound, brought to you by The Spinoff and Callahan Innovation. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, Jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.